I'm Nate Johnson, by the way. I'm a, I'm a deacon of the Compassion Ministry. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 23 today. And we have Ellen Vale, who's going to be our reader. So um, here at Maranatha, we stand for the reading of God's word. So please stand out of reverence for, for his word. And that will be in your Pew Bible, page 924, if you're using that. Starting in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled his body of the flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I get to preach that gospel for the next 25 minutes today. Now let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for gathering us today. Lord, I ask that you would move me out of the way and that your words would be paramount, Lord, um, that you would be paramount, both the written word and the living word. Lord, we ask that you would change us. We ask that you would teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing this morning with our Advent series, and um, we're already into our third week. Christmas is almost here. Now, if you recall, Randy kicked us off by talking about the hope of Christ, which is a blessed reality in the incarnation. Last week, Kyle explained the love of Christ as Jesus himself took on sin and became a propitiation to appease the wrath of God. And today, I will be talking about the peace of Christ and what that entails And we'll be looking at three ways that Jesus secures our peace. That is, peace between God and man, peace between one another, and peace within ourselves. So, a couple minutes ago, we did something that we call the passing of the peace. And this is generally the time when we turn to our neighbors in the pews, we ask them how they're doing, how their weekend was, what they're doing this week. And if you aren't a people person, then it's probably the time when you make your great escape to the coffee area, or you act like you have to go to the bathroom, and you go to the other side of those doors until you see everybody sit back down. And if you're like me, then you're probably introducing yourself to someone for the fifth time, even though you had a conversation with them last week. But what is really supposed to be taking place during this time? The passing of the peace is an old tradition in many churches. And we're supposed to be doing exactly what the title implies, passing the peace. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking about our weeks or what we're going to be doing. Um, That's all part of it. But the original intent is to remind one another that we as the church have the peace of Christ because we are in Christ. The early church would turn to their neighbor and simply say, peace or the peace of Christ to you, and it would be returned within and also to you. You can even see how Paul will start or end many of his letters with the words, grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's a simple reminder that Jesus is our peace and we can rest in that. But what does that entail? When you hear the phrase, the peace of Christ, many of you immediately think about that experiential feeling of being in Christ's presence, the sense that he is near. It's that calmness that you feel when you're in the middle of a trial and you're not sure if you can go on. For others of you, the peace of Christ is something that's achieved as family members or maybe even sworn enemies put aside their differences and unite in Christ. And you would be right on both accounts. So while I will be talking about both the inner peace that we can attain through Christ and the peace that we can have with one another, I want to start with the peace that binds it all together, and that is the peace between God and man. Now, when Steph and I were in college at Ohio University down in Athens, we were involved in a group called Crew, um, or Campus Crusade for Christ. That's what it was then. And um, much of our time on campus was spent approaching random strangers and having gospel conversations with them. Um, a lot like the book of Acts. On one particular day, I paired up with our campus director, and I am so glad that I did on this day. Um, we approached a freshman in the lobby of Crawford Hall, and we struck up a conversation with him. Now, bear in mind, I have been a Christian for about a year and a half at this point, and I was very new to talking to people about my faith. So at one point in the conversation, this young man asked what I thought was a pretty simple question to answer. He asked, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, that's the kind of question you want someone to ask you. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is a slam dunk, easy question, simple answer. So I replied with the Sunday school answer, the, he had to die for our sins, which is true. But that wasn't what he was getting at at all. He replied to me by asking, but why death? Why couldn't he have just lived a long life, preached to people, told them that he was the way to salvation, and then at age 80, just pass away peacefully in his sleep? And it completely stumped me. Um, why death? Now, this was one of my first introductions into the fact that we're not just saved to something, but we're saved from something. And that's when my campus director jumped in thank God, and walked through the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and why propitiation, that big churchy word that we talked about last week, or the appeasement of God's wrath, why that was necessary. And Kyle did a great job last week explaining that concept, the fact that God is both loving and just. But it does bring up the most crucial point about the peace of Christ. Without the incarnation... Without Advent, without Jesus actually coming into the world in the flesh and then dying for our sins, we would still be at war with God. There would be no atonement. We would still be under God's wrath. There would be no peace. Now let's look at the passage here in Colossians. Um, Colossians 1, um, we're going to be focusing mostly on Colossians 1, 19 through 22, and we'll be looking at 19 through 20 right now, and it reads, and this is Paul speaking, and he's speaking about Christ. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now you see the word reconcile there. To reconcile with something simply means to put aside differences and come together. It's a unifying of two parties who at one point had enmity toward one another. It's enemies becoming friends. Jesus made reconciliation possible for us by living a perfect life, fulfilling the law, and then dying on the cross in our place. It's something that Jesus has done in the past, but can be a present reality for us today. Propitiation makes reconciliation possible because Jesus made peace, specifically peace between us and God. Look at Romans 5.1. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again in that same chapter, in verses 10 and 11, it says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus made peace. It is through him that reconciliation is possible for us. It's not through our own pious efforts, but through Christ. We have been justified through faith, namely the object of our faith, Jesus. And here is the most beautiful part about this. It is God, it is God, the offended party, the one who was sinned against, who moved forward to reconcile with us. He initiated the reconciliation when he took on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, he came down to us. Love came down. Look again at Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. It says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, did you catch that? We were alienated and separated from God because of our sin. But despite all the evil deeds we've done, God acted on our behalf. He acted to repair the relationship even though we were the ones that were in the wrong. And the bonus in all of this is that now God looks on us as holy and complete as his son's righteousness is imputed to us. Believers, when God looks at you, he sees his son. That is such a difficult thing for us to grasp. It is a very difficult thing for me to grasp. So often we don't feel blameless and we don't feel holy. But thanks be to God for the peace that his son has purchased for us. The enmity is gone no matter how you feel. The scriptures are true. 
In God's sight, you are blameless because of the object of your faith, Jesus. He made peace. Now, because we have peace with God, it's now possible to have peace with one another. Let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 17. And this is Paul again speaking, and he's, he's speaking about Christ again. And it says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, specifically in this passage, Paul is speaking about Jews and Gentiles. Think about what we discussed in Acts um, just last month, chapter 10, with Peter and Cornelius. Remember, Peter, a devout Jew, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, they came together under the banner of Christ. Sworn enemies became friends because of what Christ did. So just as the veil was torn in two in the temple because of Christ's death, the dividing wall of hostility between one another has now crumbled to the ground. Jesus purchased for us a lasting peace. This isn't some kind of man-made treaty that gets broken over and over and over again. We are forever reconciled together in one body because of what Christ did and because of who he is. Reconciliation because Jesus made peace. And it can be the same in your own personal relationships. Some of you are thinking about family members that maybe, maybe a rift has grown between the two of you. You're thinking about old friends. A rift has grown between the two of you. Keep in mind that we are now called to live at peace with everyone despite how they may have mistreated you. That's difficult. Romans 12.18 says this, that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now let's, let's bring this from this first century into more current times. In 1979, John E. Lee Cleary, a grand dragon in the white supremacist KKK, walked into a radio station to have a debate with Reverend Wade Watts. Watts, a black man, was pastor of Jerusalem Baptist Church, a predominantly African-American church in Oklahoma. Clary and his group had set fire to that church, and they were never convicted. They had also burned crosses on the front lawn of Watts' home. Clary was prepared to have the upper hand in this debate, expecting Watts to cower, maybe not even show up out of fear. Clary arrived first. When Watts walked into the radio station, it was the pastor who approached Clary, smiled at him, and told him he loved him. During the interview, it was Watts, the offended party, who said, you can't do enough to make me hate you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you whether you like it or not. How does someone 
react this way when they have been so horribly wronged? It's because Jesus made peace. Watts had taken Romans 12, 18 to heart and had made a decision to live at peace with everyone, even those who would do him harm. To continue the story, Clary left the radio interview disarmed and confused. He had expected Watts to lash out in anger over the burning of his church. What he received instead was love. God began softening Clary's heart that day. It wasn't long after that that Clary opened a Bible. He read Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, and he immediately sensed the Spirit's call. He gave his life to Christ. The very next Sunday, he decided to go to a local church, and there he saw blacks and whites worshiping together. And again, his eyes were opened. He was moved to call Pastor Wade Watts, the man he had terrorized, the man whose church he had set on fire. He asked for forgiveness. Pastor Watts did more than that. He invited him to his church. The two became close friends, with Pastor Watts becoming Clary's mentor and discipler. Johnny Lee Clary, former KKK leader, would later become an elder in that church. How does this happen? It's because Jesus made peace. We can find another example of Christ's life-changing peace between enemies in the Middle East. Guys, it is, it's the same old story. It's all over the news now. The Middle East has been in turmoil for centuries. But I'm telling you, Jesus is making peace there. The online Christian Post recently did an interview with Shadia Kupti, a Palestinian Christian, and Daniel Sered, a Messianic Jew. Messianic Jew, that just means a Jew who has become a Christian. These two people had made peace with one another because of their unity in Christ. And when they were asked the question, is it possible to have peace in the Middle East? This is how they answered. Kupti, the Palestinian Christian, answered, if we can establish unity between the Christian Palestinians and Christian Jews, I think that will have a domino effect within our regions. Christ is able to do what the world is not able to do. And then Daniel added, I think peace is not only possible in the Middle East, but it's inevitable. When Jesus returns, there will be peace in the Middle East and all over the world. He continued, today as Israeli Jews and Arab Palestinians come to faith, we are going to see more and more reconciliation and more and more peace. It is only because of the reconciling power of the gospel that we see that. And then he finished by saying this, but first and foremost, we must seek reconcilia reconciliation between men and God, and that only comes through faith in Jesus. Sworn enemies, now friends, on a mission to see peace through the gospel. These two know that peace doesn't come from a ceasefire. That is temporary. Only Jesus can secure lasting peace as individuals' hearts are changed. Now to my final point. Because we have peace with God, we not only can have peace with one another, 
but we can also have peace within. And it's that inner experiential peace that we all crave. Is this possible? The Bible says it is. The Bible says it is. So it must be so. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Look ahead in Colossians to chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, according to this, if you want to sense the peace of Christ, then let the word dwell richly in you. Open your Bible, read it, study it, pray over it, immerse yourself in it, draw comfort from it, let it dwell in you. Holy Spirit promises to work through God's word. Now, as we look at this, it would also stand the reason that the local church plays a large role in sensing the peace of Christ. We are to teach and admonish one another. We're to pick each other up and look out for one another while pointing each other to Christ. We need to surround ourselves with people who love Jesus. How else can we sense that peace of Christ? Look at John 16, This is Christ himself speaking. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says that in him you may have peace. Note that he doesn't give them a self-help book listing the 12 steps to peace within. He points to himself. Jesus is our peace. That means falling to our knees and crying out to Jesus amidst our trials. That means, behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age, is a reality. That means getting our eyes off of ourselves, placing them on the Savior. The familiar passage, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, many of you guys know this passage. It points to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In short, Think on Christ because he sums up every one of those things. Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable. He is just. He is pure. He is lovely. He is commendable. He is excellent. And he is worthy of our praise. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He is the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is the peace you find when you lose your job. He is the peace you find when you gaze at a beautiful sunset. He is the peace you find when you have to bury a loved one. And he is the peace you find as we gather together on a Sunday morning. As Isaiah 26.3 says, 
God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Remember, you can experience the peace of God if you have peace with God. I'm going to repeat that. You can experience the peace of God if you have peace with God. Because that is the main issue, isn't it? Peace with God, that vertical relationship. But some of you here today still don't have that peace. You are trying to get by on your own efforts. You're fighting a war that's already been won. Perhaps you can relate to this. In 1944, during World War II, Hiro Onoda, a Japanese soldier, was instructed to hold a remote island in the Philippines. The next year, the war ended. Onoda would eventually surrender in 1974. He continued hiding and making small skirmishes in nearby villages, thinking that the war was still going on nearly 30 years after it was over. That's some of you today. You have no idea that Jesus has already won the war. Yes, there will be battles. Yes, there will be trials along the way. But Jesus has already claimed the victory. It's time for you to lay down your arms and come out of hiding. If you sense the Spirit calling you today, don't delay. He wants to see you go from alienation to reconciliation. He's already provided the way. He has already made the peace. But you must respond in faith to his call. I so badly want you to know him. And I want you to know the peace that comes with knowing him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we so desperately need you. Remind us of that simple fact daily. We need you. During this Advent season and throughout the year, show us that there is no lasting peace outside of you. You deserve all the glory because you are our hope. You are the one who perfectly loves us. And you are the giver of perfect peace. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.